Hello and welcome or welcome back. Matthew Grant here. Now, I know a few of you, or maybe I should say many of you, uh, were at ITC recently, including Sean Ringstead, our guest today, as we're going to hear about in a moment. Well, 10,000 people in one place is a lot to be sure, but reflecting on life in London in a typical week that I'm having, I see I'm averaging close to 40 meetings and speaking to well over 100 people every week with breakfast, dinners, evening events and everything else. Now, many of those people are coming in from Europe, the US and Asia. So uh, almost every week here feels like ITC. So I think we're going to need to go there next year ourselves. But for the time being, if you are over in London and want to meet up or you're overseas and fancy a call, then let me or any of us know hello at instec.co or via LinkedIn. Well, I've known Sean Ringstead for many years and Sean trained as an actuary and had the role of chief actuary at what was ACE and is now Chubb for many years, then became chief risk officer and also chief digital officer. So few people know more about the challenges and opportunities facing global insurers than Sean. He's back for his third appearance on the podcast in five years. And for this episode, we are talking about Chubb Studio and what that means for embedded insurance real applications for IoT, uh, including some workable ones, risk management, and the growth of insurance in emerging markets, and a whole lot more. We're delighted to be supported by Chubb as one of over 50 insurance companies we are working with as members and stand by for some very useful insights, whether you are in insurance or technology or just curious. And as usual, everything we're up to at Instec is on the website, www.instec.co. Sean, it's great to have you back. You are going to be making a record. You are here for the third time. So thank you very much for carving out some time. I'm assuming this is, uh, is working well for you, the fact you've come back to join us again. I'm really happy to be back. It's, uh, I think you've done a tremendous job on the program. So it's a, it's a great honor to be back. Thank you. I just did a quick check. So back in July 2019, we, uh, we did the first recording and you had 870 downloads from that. And then we spoke again during May 2020. Uh, and you've, you're now well over a thousand from that one. That was during a lockdown, and you might recall we actually had uh, a combination of family members coming into the room and leaf blowers outside. <laughs> but I'm delighted to see that today you've got your team working with you. And I also noticed, you, actually, John, you were uh, in ITC, and actually you seem to have uh, figured out how to take some rather good photographs of all your colleagues. So how, how did you find ITC? And I, I guess you had a, quite a big team with you there from Chubb. We did. I think that was the best part, right? We we had a, a, a big team there, um, really talented team. They're on stage. I mean, we met with so many partners, service providers. They did about a million steps over the time there. So we, we hit it hard. When you think about insure tech, it's, it, it's so much of what we do today and it's going to be part of the fabric going forward. So it, it was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Let's crack on with the show. Uh, so just an introduction for those that don't know you. John, you're Chief Digital Business Officer at Chubb. You're also Chief Risk Officer. Uh, Chubb is the largest publicly traded property and casualty insurer in the world. And then you yourself are responsible for some of the major innovations around the world at Chubb. Uh, and you're also, amongst other things, a, a great enthusiast for using data to reduce risk. And we've talked in the past about IoT or Internet of Things. We might touch on that a little bit today. And, and now you're helping Chubb reduce the global protection gap, which uh, I saw was considered to be in the region of $1.2 trillion uh, back in 2019. So a lot to talk about. And uh, I think we're going to double down on a couple of those today. Great. Really look forward to the conversation. So 
you've had a lot happening since we last spoke in 2020. We've come out of COVID. You mentioned you've been at ITC. The question I've got in front of me says, what's been keeping you busy in the last couple of years? I think that could be a long answer. So I'm going to reframe that. And I'd say, what, what of all the things that have been keeping you busy are the ones that you feel most pleased about in the last couple of years? It's our people and our teams. We've really been building out um, our, our capabilities um, as, as we think about distribution and technology. Uh, we're global, which you know is a really fun part of the role. Big markets out in out in Asia and Latin America, and, and of course you have Europe and, uh, and and North America. So, you know, coming out of COVID, important, right? Make sure people are healthy, families are healthy. So there's there's, there's been a lot of, um, around that. But I've I've been amazed at the resilience of our people and the energy that they, you know they continue to to bring. We continue to build out um, the the capabilities that are, are driving um, like a growing, fast-growing portfolio on the revenue side, and then the capabilities that we're bringing to to help decision-making internally with, with, with underwriting and claims. So it's been very, very rewarding. Your point there about energy and people, it, it's really intriguing. And no one's perfect. You can make do with lots of shortcomings in people, but if you haven't got energy, then you're really going to struggle. One of the things that we're going to be talking about, which you launched at least a couple of years ago, uh, and we were talking about this in the early days, was was Chubb Studio. For those that aren't familiar with Chubb Studio, could you sort of explain what it does and how it helps your clients? We launched it in COVID. It was a lot of hard work by by teams virtually remotely, right? We weren't we weren't getting together. So um, I'm I'm a fierce proponent of return to office, right? And you, you have to be face-to-face. But a little bit of Chubb Studio just show what you can do virtually, remotely. It's really the engine, right, Be- behind our embedded insurance partnership integrations. It's seen in a number of um, partnerships and countries was the opportunity to to take the capabilities that we had and, and build out a, a, a global platform. And what it really does, it acts as the interface between all, all the Chubb products and services that we have, and then be able to deliver that to our partners. And today, the, the digital currency of how companies and firms and people transact is through APIs. And Chubb Studio allows us to API integrate into our partners. It's pretty seamless, makes it easy for our partners. Um, they, we can deliver our products and services on, a, on an app. It could be a microsite if, if that's what they want, or... We can rent out the the space on their website through a through a widget. It's really helping drive the the revenue growth that we're seeing on our on our partnerships. There's a lot in there, so I'm going to come back and break that apart a little bit, mm-hmm. and hopefully we'll be able to use some examples. But just your point about APIs in there, we did a survey very recently to just bring out a report on this topic about how did companies want to consume data and there were three choices uh it was through an api directly from the the data originator or it was through a platform or it was through spreadsheets and you'll be relieved to know uh there's three percent said spreadsheets so we're going to hunt those people down and, and try to figure out why they still want spreadsheets i suspect uh i suspect it's because they they would love to have apis but their companies can't consume it right. so it's great to know that chubb has got beyond legacy um so let's just go back to chubb studios so essentially this is a way that you talk about partners so perhaps you can bring this to life with an example and maybe just play it back a little bit to you just to make sure i'm under, understanding this correctly but 
you're essentially you're enabling organizations that have distribution are selling other products to sell insurance alongside of that that insurance is using both chubb's capacity but you're also providing them with the technology to to plug in you mentioned the api right. but it, it's a, it's a kind of seamless one-stop shop for somebody that wants to go and sell insurance that so they can you can put all the components together chubb will provide those all the way through to underwriting capacity and and everything else that goes hand in hand with good customer experience. Have I, have I sort of summarized that fairly? Yeah. Maybe an example would help. And and you can think of three groups or three sets of constituents. There's Chubb and in, in what we do in terms of selling insurance. Um, you, you have a partner, could be could be a bank, could be a, a travel, you could be in mobility, uh, you could be in e-commerce and they, they have a, a pool of pool of customers. So take New Bank, which is a large Neo Bank in in Brazil, and I mean it's really interesting. In like three to four years, they've they've gone from dust to, to forty million customers. So think if you've got three constituents: you have New Bank customers, you have New Bank, and and you have Chubb. I mean, insurance is quite complicated, but it's what we do: uh, paying claims and the billing, capital, and, and and so on. And we can provide that um, through an API to New Bank's customers. Many of their customers have never really bought a financial services product. And so they're now able easily to access uh, a simple life insurance policy on that. They can buy it literally in three clicks, which is pretty cool. So now they've it's accessible and it's affordable to customers. So that's a win for them. They're getting a, a significant benefit and, and help to their financial risk profile. So new bank customers win. New bank wins. Uh, they they are now providing uh, additional service and offerings uh, to to their customers. Um, so that's uh, additional revenue for them. Um, that's improved customer loyalty. Uh, so that's that's a win for uh, New Bank, and it's a, it's a win for Chubb. One of the great things that Chubb has right is this this global set of products and services. And now we're able to to bring that to a new a new partner. So they didn't exist three or four years ago. They're transacting digitally and a new customer pool. So um, it's a it's a bit of a win win win, right? For for everybody in terms of being able to do that. And we have a whole range of other sort of examples to New Bank. And to give you a sense of scale, the forty million customers for New Bank, I think we're over six hundred thousand policies sold. No, it's, it's very significant. And, and how how is that being sold then? I mean, that's, it's pretty extraordinary. That company has gone from zero to 40 million customers. I mean, many people would be happy with like one hundredth of that. <laughs> but So clearly, they, they, they've figured out how to go and get customers to the bank. But when it comes to insurance, I mean, people generally don't buy insurance unless they have to or unless they've sort of had a big loss. What is encouraging people to buy life insurance through the new bank application? If you look at the journey line of how we did this, the technical discussions were pretty brief. And, you know, we, we, we find this time again, it's, it's less about the technology. That's, that's a given. The real conversation is around developing the customer proposition, understanding the customer and how best to place this in a, in a digital journey. So the amount of time, effort and attention that, that we spent 
in that with New Bank. And we see this time and time again with digital partners. There is um, there's an obsessive, <laughs> say that in the right way, right? I mean, rightly so, right? There's an obsessive attention to detail. Every pixel on the screen matters, right? I mean, it's a very sort of Amazon-like or a Facebook. You, you have to pay attention to every pixel and what's on that pixel, the color, right? The font, the message, how it all interacts. So that's really where the time the time spent. And so having an understanding of the customer and where and how you're going to place that message in the digital space becomes very important. It was also interesting too for for for, for New Bank. They had, they had some terrific terrific marketing around this, which was which was kind of fun. They announced the death of life insurance. I think um, sort of video video out there. So it was a little, a little bit of irony and humor that shouldn't mask the amount of time and effort that is spent on the digital proposition itself. And from the customer's point of view, are they do they think they're buying ins- insurance from Newbank or do they see Chubb as, as part of the brand value and, and the, the offering? Both. And it you know it depends on the, on the partner in the market. Sometimes we'll we'll be leading with Chubb. Sometimes we lead with the with the partner. So you can white label the proposition. At the end of the day though, I mean the the, the policies are are issued and it's it's clear it's coming from Chubb and that we're the that we're the risk provider. Well you seem to be certainly publicly talking about Chubb Studio. They're in the the sort of developing economies, so Latin America, Southeast Asia. I think he sort of answered this question already in a sense. I mean the speed of which New Bank has moved almost certainly means that when you work with them, they're going to be working quickly with you. But what is it about those parts of the world versus if you look in the more traditional areas of the world where people are buying insurance that is sort of driving this? Is that really the, the areas you're focusing on in these developing economies, or is it more in uh, is it more happening over in the US and Europe? You see it in the US and Europe, but we operate in different markets. I mean, every every market is is different. How the digital economy evolves in each each market is different. Um, customer behaviors are, are different. Regulation is different um, in terms of you know what you can and can't do. I think the pace of change around digital economies has been greater in Asia and Latin America. So I think it's a relative statement, right? It's not to say um, Europe and, and, and North America haven't digitized, but I think the pace of change and the starting point was very much different in Asia and in and, and in Latin America. But we see tremendous opportunity in, in North America and, and Europe. I think we've come a long way on the insurance product. But we've got so much further to go. Your comment about the teams and the energy, right? I mean, I think that's what that's why 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 you see the energy, right? It attracts a certain type of individual, right, who wants to make an impact, can see the opportunity, and that's the type of talent we're attracting at 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 Chubb. And um, I'd do a shameless plug, right? If the, if that energizes you, come and come and join us, please. Uh, well, we're very happy, very happy for you to, to plug away. Um, but I was just going to ask you, like, the psychology of the bias. So, in the, the areas you've talked about, mm. you know, the people they're generating more wealth. They probably haven't had insurance before. You've got a partner like New Bank that's sort of driving that. But if you look at North America, I mean, North America, a lot of insurance, personalized insurance, is still bought the old-fashioned way through an agent. It seems like sometimes, like, state-of-the-art for technology is how fast you can get on a phone when someone's clicked on your advert you know there's there's been a quite a lot of I mean, reluctance is too strong a word it's been quite slow to move to as a digital buying experience in the uk kind of led in that and i 
and then and then continental Europe, it's probably a bit slow. But just wondering about the dynamic you see, or what do you think will change people's buying habits? Maybe it's already changing, and I, and I just haven't got visibility into it. But you know, where they're in a more established mode of buying, and you've got to shift them from the going into the mall and seeing the the broker, or getting on the phone to actually just going online and doing it directly you know, with with their uh, the, the person they're used to banking with or or buying something from. You ever had pad thai? Probably, but I, I can't remember. It's one of those dishes that's got far too much stuff in it. It's got everything. I quite like it, but it's got everything in it, and it's a bit like your um, you know the the question. It, it's you, you tease it apart. Certain products are always going to be done face to face, right? The the more complex products, and I think there's something about a human nature as well. They they want affirmation from somebody, right? Saying yeah. You really should buy this product, Matthew, right? That's a great choice, right? And people may have made the decision, but just having somebody tell them, right, that's a, mm-hmm. that's a great choice. So I think you're, you're always going to have a role for the agent. And you look at Hurricane Ian right now, um, and our claims teams are out there. Yeah, we're using technology to, to help with that. But boy, right, claims adjusters are talking one-on-one with people, right? You know, do you... <laughs> need a first responder, can I get you out of there? So there's always going to be a human element to this. If you take the US as an example, and we just we just launched a product through Blink called Paycheck to sort of really address supplemental health. So we can say the US is sort of like a mature market, a mature economy, but there's a lot of untapped need in terms of where and how you can make a real difference Um to, to people's lives. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for that to be done digitally. So as these new products come online, right, they lend themselves more to a digital setup. And I think the, the, the agent and the brokers still remain very, very relevant as a complement. So I think you end up with this intertwined omni-channel type approach, right? It really depends on the product that you're offering, the complexity of the product, the value of a product, the you know, uh, like a one dollar uh, travel insurance policy is very different to like a two thousand dollar homeowners homeowners policy. So, you know, the the channel is important. How you deliver it's important. Understanding how the customer wants to be dealt with is important. It's been interesting to see how people's perception of the use of artificial intelligence has evolved. You know, hearing the term now intelligent augmentation and we saw this when we were looking at what people were doing with using mobile devices to look at damage which is you can only go so far and, and to your point about having somebody involved some of the sort of the most sophisticated use of this is that we're actually connecting the the adjusters but they're sitting at a desk so that they can use the policyholders camera to actually be able to see what the damage is as opposed to taking a photograph and the ai does it all for you and really really hard to do that but you can you can make some pretty significant savings and incremental leaps by using technology to make the individual more effective as opposed to just trying to get the individual out of the picture altogether it sounds like it's quite a similar way when you're talking about some of the things you're doing and and certainly as you get to scale in terms of the size of the the policies and the premiums technology can help you with insights right where where to where you want to put your claims adjusters, um, the type of information you can put in their hands. Um, you can make them more effective about how they gather uh, information. But at the end of the day, right, this this is about people and technology is not going to replace that yet, right? I I haven't found a robot with empathy yet, but maybe, maybe there's maybe there's one out there. <laughs> a 
robotic empathy or uh, uh, something with artificial intelligence that's, that's humble enough to know when it's wrong right, and admit right. it. That's the other. Yeah. So yeah, a humble ro- humble robot, maybe empathy and hum- humility. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's really helpful. And there's more examples, and I think some of those people can access yeah, through the website. But I just want to come back to the theme we talked about for over the last couple of years, Sean, which is around this use of data and IoT. And uh, when we spoke recently, I was saying it still seems to be a struggle for insurers to use this new and you sort of uh i think you're a bit surprised by my comment because uh, <laughs> you've obviously got solutions for that what would be maybe, the, maybe just in the, in the last 12 months or what would be one of your examples of where you're seeing that access to data and iot really making a difference on both sides i think in terms of the the i got this term from you predict and prevent so you know, risk management to reduce or eliminate the loss in the first place and then maybe also on the actual pricing and claim side as well. But uh, yeah, so it'd be helpful just to ground that in some real examples. Think about it broadly in a couple of couple of ways. I mean, this, this idea of uh, what you can call value-added services and the ability now, right, for, for technology to really help with mitigation, risk mitigation, right, through to predict is going to be really important. You think about I mean, the obvious example, right, sort of telematics and cars. But now think about health and, and wellness, right, this idea that you can use technology to to monitor and help and, and, and mitigate health. Um, think about cyber and all the, all the tools that are in place, right, for individuals and companies to, to monitor their digital footprint. And it's the same with, with IoT and in buildings, again, you know whether it's a home or a or a factory. So all these tools are in place, will be in place, right, in the coming years to to, to help risk mitigation, predict and prevent. You know, for buildings, for people, for cyber, and insurance complements that. Um, but it, 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 I see that that you, you're going to have this more of a predict and and, and prevent type model and in in the building world we we compare that to sort of repair and replace and we've seen in certainly you know we're we're focused in the states and we we have a couple of countries outside the states the real benefit of having iot in place to to help mitigate risk and to provide actionable information to prevent a damage to a building, and it and it's not just the financial losses. I think we've discussed in the past, right? Is it's the real inconvenience? You have a you have a flooded carpet. You've got now you worry about mold. You've got rental expenses. Um, you have to replace things. And today, with all the supply chain issues, right, it may take you that much longer to 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 find things. So the more that you can do up front to predict, mitigate that that's much better for the client, and it's certainly a win for the for the insurer. And uh, you know, an example that comes to mind is a is a public library um, that we that we protected over. We fitted out over over a dozen dozen buildings in in towns. Uh, you think about a library and, and, and water and books. That's not a good combination. And you put these devices in. They're twenty four seven. They're wireless. Put them on top of the bookshelves and put them in the basement. Uh, we put them all over the place, and they're there to be sort of a silent. Sentry detection detection system, and we we had a real uh, situation with them shortly after the installation. There was a water water leak, 
goes to the sensors and and shuts off the sprinklers. Uh, the, the the sprinkler was defective, and avoids a significant loss. And in that example, you're thinking about books, right? I mean, much harder to replace books, right, than it is to replace uh, a, a carpet potentially. I mean, that's that's just one example, and it's not it's not an isolated one, right? We've seen this in in numerous instances now. So to me, I think it works. So I'm curious. I'm curious what your viewpoint is in terms of why, uh, what, what sort of what barriers you're you're seeing. Well, it's partly me, frankly. I mean, I've even, I battle with my Nest thermostat, which which keeps telling me what it, that it thinks it should be 20 degrees centigrade in the middle of the night, and I keep resetting it. And then I battle with my Nest smoke detector. But that's probably maybe I'm at the tail end of the technology adoption curve, despite having an engineering degree. So. Uh, but I, the one I did come across recently, I thought was particularly interesting, was with a company called InsureTech with a K at the end. Uh, they're, they're working with MIC Global, and they've got a solution whereby they're looking at individual coverage by rooms for hotels. So that it's sort of a little bit like your example. But I think what's quite elegant about this is you can basically they're selling insurance at the level of an individual room rather than you know, it's all having to sort of come in under a or above a deductible or, or aggregate covers. And, and they are, they're using sensors there to be able to measure the flood. And if one room is flooded, it pays out. And it's all the, the MIC stands for microinsurance. And so the elegance there, I think, was they had a – the solution worked all the way through. So there was the, the data, the flood, and then the payment just worked for people as opposed to having to sort of fit into a more uh, traditional insurance structure with all the, the friction and the barriers in it. So I, so I definitely see them out there. Uh, I just – from a – Maybe as I said, me personally, I, I, my personal lines area were not where we would have thought they would have been five years ago when people were talking about this. You need to have a chub homeowner's policy and then we'll, we'll take care of it. <laughs> well, I, I, I've got to tell you, Sean, uh, when we took out our, when we took out our in, Instec policy, the uh, company that was not chub sent us a 10-page PDF, and that was all about the risk of our podcast. So I don't know who they've been listening to. I can kind of guess it wasn't me hosting it, I suspect. But it was all about the liability for the podcast. And then I couldn't even do it online. I had to print it off and sign it and then rescan it and send it. But, uh, but yeah, we'll definitely look at do a good job next time. Yeah, I, I, but, you know, again, making a thematic point, right, around lifting up on, on IoT, right? It, it, it applies in homes, right? Public libraries, public school occupancies, apartments, hotels. I mean, and, and it's applicable, you know, across the swath of property, and it's an important issue for the industry. Non-weather-related water damages is the biggest single driver of, of loss, right? Whether it's personal or commercial. And here is technology that can help mitigate that. And when you put that together, to me, that's a trend, you know, in in the next few years, right? The embracement, the recognition of that, right? Whether that's the the, the insured, whether that's the insurer, the technology is is now at a point where this where this works and it can provide meaningful benefit to everybody. So I'm an optimist. I really see that taking hold. Well, I will look into the Chubb policy <laughs> and uh, see if they give me a free like a free device and someone to help fit it. Uh, but, but, uh, so just before we wrap up, I just what else do you see coming out? If you're looking ahead the next couple of years, so we talked about embedded, we talked about IoT, talked about the whole Chubb Studio. What do you see coming next that you think is going to sort of really drive change from a technology or data perspective? We've been continuing to work away on on technology. So certainly with regards 
Chub Studio. Uh, we will just uh, just announced the, the sort of the next set of features in in Studio. One is um, what I'd call multi multi service integrations. What this will do is really strengthen Chubb's position right in the in, in the embedded insurance market. It really helps make us a, a partner of choice for companies, and and so it's it's the ability now for us um, be able to integrate into into partners and offer other services and products that we don't offer. And I think it's going to be a very interesting proposition for partners because now they they can obviously benefit from Chubb's products and services. They benefit from our technology capability. We also provide analytical services to our partners, but now through our technology stack, we'll be able to offer the products and services of other companies to our partners. And then what we've done is we've we've taken the API capability a step further to SDKs. And for those not familiar with SDK, I mean, simply it's, it's a software development kit which is a great way to think about it. it it's, it's all the pieces and the bundling of, of the API sitting in a, in a kit. And, and so now partners can literally, the, the developers, it shortens the cycle times. They, they don't have to spend time on the API integrations. They open up the kit and plug it in, plug straight into the partner's app or their website, may still want to do some customization. But the point is we thought... We'd, we'd, we'd push things along with, with APIs and seamless integrations and even further making the cycle times quicker and, and really helping our partners access our products and services. So we're, we're very excited about this new set of features with the Chubb Studio. So just make sure I understand yeah. that one. So you're, you're basically looking at other companies. I mean, it might be helpful to come in and have an example, but who are... You're providing the insurance. You've got your partner who can provide you the access to the client. But as part of that whole, I guess what part of the analysis, but also on that, that to our sort of risk management and predict to prevent, is that where the partners are providing help? They're actually both combination of underwriting, but also servicing the the end customer with more help. And it'll vary by by product and territory. But you could think about we're in a certain market and we come across a service provider. Um, could be could be in wellness. It, it could be in cyber. We think um, would be really beneficial for our partner and their customers. We can just make that available through our tech stack. It could be a product that for us we don't have the risk appetite for, but we have uh, another company that does. And being able to take that product and make it available to our partners' customers through our technology. Stack so it'll vary by country and territory, sort of how we do this. But we've built we've built the fundamentals here, right, to be able to provide that capability to our partners at the right place and at the right time. Just want to jump in here and clarify something. So when insurers talk about our product, they usually mean the type of insurance they are offering. So what Sean is referring to here is where Chubb is now able to partner up with another insurance provider, I guess it could be an MGA or a broker, to offer insurance that Chubb itself may not be able to or want to offer. Now, of course, this is very different than a retailer selling a physical product, such as a power tool or a computer, for example, and then embedded insurance in it. Well, let me know if you want to know about either of those applications, and let's get back to Sean. 
So that's been tremendous catching up. So is there anybody that wants to know a little bit more about how to work with Chubb, either in just what we've been talking about uh, on that multi-service integration or just more generally, what's the best route into Chubb to be able to discover more? Call me. Come and find me on LinkedIn. Come and, come and find Chubb on LinkedIn or just call me. And that is the good test for the innovation is to track you down. You know, it can't make it too easy for people. If they can find your phone number and I'm not going to give it to them, then they deserve to get through to you. Sean, that's tremendous. Is there anything else before we wrap up that I, or you would like to talk about we haven't covered? Just thank you. Right. It's, it's, it's a great honor. I'm really humbled to be invi- invited back as ever. Love the conversation and hope there's something in here that uh, resonates with your listeners. Well, thank you. We're very mercenary. You know, you get lots of people listening. So uh, we're always, always a pleasure to have you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, now, now we're all traveling again. Hopefully I'll see you either in uh, Bermuda or New York or if you're over in, in London in the not, not too distant future. Yeah, if there's a knock at your door, I might be there with a sensor kit. <laughs> I've got a uh, Amazon Ring doorbell, so I'll see you coming. <laughs> Touche. Okay. Thanks, Sean. Well, we always love to know who is listening and what you think. And if you're interested in learning about membership or anything else, please do contact me, Matthew Grant, on LinkedIn or email any of us, hello at instec.co. That's it. We're done.